You're listening to the EVPA podcast, conversations with Europe's leading investors for impact. In this series of episodes, I'll be talking to the heads of impact funds about the challenges and opportunities of fundraising, investing, and managing capital. I'm Ryan Grantlittle. Thanks for joining. In this episode, I spoke with Michał Radziwiłł, manager of the social venture capital fund FKIS in Poland. Michał has been involved in social finance for a staggering 20 years, most of it running Poland's renowned TISA SA, one of the most active impact investors in Eastern Europe with a portfolio of more than 5,000 loans. We talked about what's happening now in the impact finance space in Poland and some of its neighboring countries, challenges and opportunities in the region, and cycling by chickens and roosters in central Warsaw. Michał, thanks a lot for joining us today on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm very keen to answer your questions. And I'm keen to ask you some. I'm really interested in finding out how you got into the impact investing field. I know that you were running TISA, for, which you'll tell us a bit about in a moment, for 19 years. So it means you've been in this space for quite a while. How did that journey start? Yes, it started a little by accident, I would say. I am a finance person. I, I studied in finance in France, and then I worked for audit firms and some corporations. And then I decided that what was probably more interesting for me was to be on the investment side. And so I joined TISA, which was a small venture capital fund in 2000. And we, we were running this uh, venture capital fund for five years. The activity stopped because it was too small to be sustainable. And then we started financing, uh, so granting loans to social enterprises which we would probably call rather impact uh, financing now. This is how we got to the point where we are, right? So in 2000, you started as more of a traditional VC and then shifted into this space? So this traditional VC activity was uh, simply not very sustainable because it was the, the money uh, that we could invest was very small. TISA was active in this activity mainly starting from like mid-1990s. So at that time, the small tickets, which would now be even too small to consider, at that time, it, it was helpful in some cases. Actually, it was maybe, you know, it could be even named social because we were financing very small enterprises. So entrepreneurs who really could not access other type of financing. Just for the audience, TISA, T-I-S-E, strictly with a focus on Poland at that time? Uh, strictly with the focus on Poland at that time. And even uh, until now, there are some loans granted to, let's say, social enterprises in other countries, neighboring countries, but it is, it is marginal. It is, uh, it is 99 or 98% Poland. So imagining 19 years ago, this was a pretty small fund writing very small tickets. How has it evolved and what does it look like now? Yeah, so maybe just to uh, one more word about TISA. TISA is a fully owned subsidiary of Credit Cooperative, a French bank which is active in the field of financing uh, social economy, NGOs and cooperatives. And they created in 1990, they created a bank in Poland, which was called the Bank for Social and Economic Initiatives. At that time, nobody was talking about social economy or, or impact investing in Poland. It was just the beginning of the transition. The idea behind was to finance uh, entrepreneurs, so potential entrepreneurs, uh, people who lost their jobs in the transition and who wanted to start their own businesses. So fortunately, they didn't start only finance people who lost their jobs. 
And this bank existed for 15 years and it got sold. And TISA remained, uh, TISA was the venture capital fund created in the same period, actually 1991, complement for this uh, financing. And then it became a fund focusing on NGOs, so loans to NGOs, cooperatives, and uh, micro and small enterprises in Poland. And it is now around uh, six or 7,000 loans in the portfolio. Probably the, I don't know the average. As you said, I used to run TISA until 2019, but the, the average loan is probably between 30 and 40,000 euro equivalent. So it is really for micro and small actors. That's a huge number of loans to keep track of. Yes, yes. And 70 people are working in TISA actually, yeah. currently. Can you tell us a little bit about why the portfolio is all loans? So it's moved basically from venture capital, which maybe was more on the potentially on the equity side back then, or maybe not also. Are you exploring equity investments at this point as well? The venture capital, which was uh, basically stopped in 2005, was obviously mainly equity investments. The transition that TISA lived, it was, I would say, uh, there were some other businesses. It was a subsidiary of this Polish bank. It was running some of the operations for the Polish bank. The same structure, but uh, I would say that there is no direct, uh, I know if you can say so, heritage between the venture capital until 2005 and the loan or lending activity starting from 2008-9. And so in 2008-9, it was decided that TISA would grant loans. And obviously, it is a very different risk approach than equity investments. So TISA, uh, as such, does not consider any equity investment. And so one of the programs, though, that they're supporting or funding together with the ESF is the... Can I try this? Can I say this in Polish? (laughs) Yes, go ahead. The Fundusz Kapitałowicz Investici Społecznicz. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you got it almost right. Okay, okay. Uh, this is the fund for what we call social venture capital, Fundusz Kapitałowych Inwestycji Społecznych. It's like in German, oh, Okay. The, the CH. And so, yes, and this is, a, this is a, an SPV uh, which was created in the framework of a pilot program financed 90% by the Polish government from the European Social Fund and 10% with the, it's, it's the contribution of TISA. And the purpose of this pilot is to figure out whether the sector of social economy, and it is, I think that the word social here is important. It is not only impact investment. It is, I would say, more narrow somehow. It is really dedicated to social enterprises to verify if this sector can absorb equity or or similar quasi-equity investments. And as I said, it is limited to NGOs running businesses cooperatives, and there is a legal form which is called non-profit company in Polish, which is a kind of limited company, but where the shareholders declare that they will not distribute dividends. Got it. And so what are some of the the investments that are being made from that special purpose vehicle? We started the investments in the end of 2019. Then obviously the, the COVID crisis came, so it was a little bit more difficult. Until today, we made six investments. There are three equity investments into this type of nonprofit companies. And there are three um, loans, which we call subordinated loans. So taking the risk of the project and hopefully being remunerated from the success of this project. One is to uh, an association, one to a foundation, and the third one is to a cooperative. And the businesses are, are quite uh, diverse. 
so the non-profit companies are active on the, I would say, on the, on the commercial market. One is building uh, houses, so, so passive houses, I can say it in English. So houses which are, do not, basically do not use energy. The other one is uh, shredding documents and employing people who have difficulties on the employment market. Then we have uh, two or three um, uh, psychological or psychotherapeutical organizations. One is doing, I think you say it, hippotherapy. It's for children with horses. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's probably the spectrum of what we have. And we are still in process of investment until 2020. For a pilot project like that, do you define the success criteria in advance? So do you know what it will mean to scale this project into something larger in advance? Or do you sort of, you enter it and you don't know exactly where it's going to go and it make it do an assessment afterwards to decide whether to scale it? There will be an assessment made, uh, uh, yes, once we have at least completed the investment phase. The idea of the project is obviously there is the financial aspect. It should be at least sustainable. Uh, but we do not expect very high returns. And there is an uh, impact, social impact uh, created. So with each of the investees, we agree on one or two um, factors which we measure. We have not uh, finalized it yet, but we will have to aggregate these measures of the social impact in order to show the impact of the whole, uh, of the whole vehicle. As far as I know, in the Ministry of Development, which is our public partner, they are uh, thinking from the new programming perspective of the, the European Union. They would like to create a, another vehicle like this one, or maybe two. So our experience will be something that will help them probably better define uh, some of the parameters for the new vehicles, if we prove that the sector is absorbing this type of investment. So is that interest in creating other vehicles in other countries or larger ones within Poland, or how does that look? No, it is, it is larger ones in Poland, okay. not very much larger. Our vehicle is uh, 2.5 million euros, so it's not very big, and it will be probably larger, but the, the numbers are definitely not huge. And definitely this is money which is uh, I mean, coming from the, the European Commission. It is dedicated to Poland exclusively. It's refreshing to hear you talk about looking at one or two factors on the impact measurement side, working with these organizations. Sometimes there's a tendency to you know, try to think of anything that can be measured, should be measured. And uh, that puts a, a huge onus on the organizations and a huge administrative burden for them. So it's very nice to hear. And it'd be great if more organizations would look, look yeah, at I, treating I, that. I, I mean, obviously, it's um, so we are trying to be pragmatic. And of course, the organizations with whom we work they are very, very small, right? They are, I think they probably, the biggest is employing maybe, maybe 60, 70 people. The smallest are employing like four or five persons, right? So definitely they would not be able to, it's even difficult for them to sometimes to answer the basic, uh, I would say, financial needs that we have. So definitely, yes, and we help them on establishing these, these social uh, impact factors and to how to measure between TISA and FKIS and being based in Warsaw, you've got a pretty good view of the Polish impact investment sector. And if I could generalize maybe more broadly in the Central and Eastern European impact investing sector, but you also do a lot of work in France in particular. So you've got a viewpoint on the Western Europe. What are some of your impressions on kind of the differences? Of course, Western Europe is a bit farther along in the development of impact investment, but as someone who kind of straddles both of these markets, what are some of the things that you're seeing happen right now? 
Yes, so uh, having worked with TISA for, for, for all these years and, and with Credit Cooperative, of course, we see that the size of this um, of the sector is in Poland is much, much smaller than in France or in, in Belgium, which are the countries that we that I maybe know a little bit better. I have never worked in these countries, uh, so never invested in, this, in these countries. But I think that Poland is doing quite a good job. And uh, Poland, I mean, the public authorities of Poland, whatever side they come from, right? This social economy is, is considered, of course, it's a small sector, uh, but there is a law on social cooperatives, which are supposed to help people to create employment. The NGOs are encouraged also to make investments. There is a lot of, I would say, grant money, but also uh, starting from uh, probably like 10 years ago, there is a, a big stress on, I don't know if you say it in English, uh, reimbursable or repayable instruments, mm-hmm. uh, meaning, of course, loans, first of all. And so now this project that I'm running, this uh, social venture capital, as an experiment, I would say. Are you seeing any movement with corporate foundations, family foundations, high net worth individuals setting up private foundations in the region? Yes, it exists. It starts. Uh, I have even today, I spoke to a lady who is uh, coming from the NGO sector and who is now trying to work as a consultant, independent consultant for these family businesses. There is a new generation, actually, after 30 years in transformation in Poland, people who created businesses in the 1990s are getting close to retirement or, I mean, there is this Typical uh, in the in the West, you know it uh, better, right? There is this typical uh, situation where people have to transfer the businesses either to their children or to sell them, or I mean, there's this strategic decision to be made. And as she told me, even the lady I spoke to today, it's the young generation that is more interested in all type of impact investments. And so I know that there are some impact investment funds that are uh, being created. And this, it's becoming quite, I would say, fashionable and, and quite, I mean, more and more frequent to see that uh, people try to find something more through their investments, not just financial returns. Yeah, we're seeing, I think it's considered the largest transfer of wealth in human history between baby boomers and millennials now. And um, I know that organizations like Tonic and Global Impact Investing Network yeah. are doing a lot to um, foster this uh, kind of transition and, and working a lot, particularly with millennials as they kind of step into these, these shoes and, and um, start getting very serious about impact. And that's a huge yeah. driver of the sector right now. And this is what is really starting probably in Poland. Interesting. What, what are some of the challenges unique to Poland that you see? Ooh. I'm not sure if there are, I mean, uh, if there are things that are unique to Poland. Uh, I mean, we don't want to be... Uh, Political. As I told you, I think that uh, in the sector in which I am, the Polish government, uh, I mean, the Polish public institutions, rather, did quite a lot of good decisions. And there is quite a lot of funding. In some cases, you might even think that, you know, that it's not the funding that is the main issue. It is really the fact to find, I would say, um, investment ready beneficiaries for some types of funding. There was a program, for instance, to establish a guarantee program for social enterprises, and it didn't work because it was probably a little bit too sophisticated for them. They really need simple instruments. The loan is a perfect instrument for them. 
I participated in quite a few meetings or conferences. It happened uh, once or twice that uh, not only people coming from other Eastern European countries, but even from Portugal or Denmark, they came to see us and say, oh, how come you, you, you have this instrument? We would like to learn how you implement it. In Denmark, they didn't have the type of, I would say, loan program for social economy. Interesting. And some of the other countries in Eastern Europe, I mean, I know that Romania is doing a lot of work, for example, in the barriers to employment space with organizations there that are becoming maybe increasingly fundable. You're looking with TISA in some other countries in, in the region, is that right? Uh, yes. So with TISA, we worked, uh, so we, we were granting loans in quite a few of these countries, uh, mainly in Slovakia. There is a movement of social economy there, and there is a We granted something like 10 loans in like 2017, 2018, 2019. Uh, we were working also in Slovenia, uh, where this movement is starting. And we had some loans in, in Hungary and Romania. I am in contact now also with the, I mean, specifically with the Romanian movement of they established uh, something which, an organization which is called the Romanian Social Economy Association or something like this. There is an initiative to set up a financial institution to be able to finance this, uh, this sector. So yes, it exists. Uh, I think that uh, Poland is not, of course, it is the, the biggest country of the region, but it is probably, as far as I know, uh, more advanced than others, at least the, the ones that I know, in financing or in developing uh, social economy. One of the things that you talked about a little bit earlier is that you're financing different, so everything from nonprofit to for-profit and to not-for-profit companies, which sounds like something maybe unique in Poland. But do you look at these financings differently? Do you assess them, them differently? I know, you know a lot of organizations will focus on one type of organizational structure over another, but how do you look at these investment opportunities side by side? By definition, they are quite different. All of them are very small. The structures are, are rather small, so they have the same issues with having uh, not uh, sufficient, I would say, for instance, financial skills. We try to help them on this. In practical terms, we happened to probably, we, we already know most of the accountants of their organizations because probably we are the ones who are, need more information than they do, in, or in some, at, at least different information than they do. And so we, we need to talk to the accountants directly. I had also today a, a conference call with one of the companies and their accountant, which is an external accountant. And of course, uh, there is a very different analysis. So, so when you have a type of startup company, which is building a production line and trying to sell houses, you, you analyze it very differently than an association, which is just developing their, uh, I would say, psychological or psychiatrical center in a small town. The capital intensity of the investment is more important than the legal structure of the entity right. in that sense. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Do you talk a lot with the accountants as part of the due diligence process? Yes, of course we do, and, uh, but not only, right? And it's also very, it's independent on the, let's say, legal form. Uh, it's usually quite difficult for them to, to build a, a business plan, which is, uh, I would say, suitable for our investment committee. So we try to help them. And we even have some funds allocated to it so we can partly finance it from the project. Okay. So the importance of technical assistance, basically. In, in this, exactly. This yes. And well. I would say, and unfortunately, there is no, uh, I would say, technical assistance money for the life of the project. So obviously, we try to do something. And it, I would say we, we probably support them in some areas 
but without uh, having a specific budget for this. So this is like part of our, I would say, investment and monitoring work. We cannot do much more with this project. So this is probably one, one lesson that can be taken from it is, is really to have a, a budget which doesn't have to be used by the manager of the project, of course, but to be able to find some mentoring or some coaching or some, some technical advice. In this series of episodes with uh, impact fund managers, you're the only one who you're basically representing all of Eastern Europe for the podcast series. Could be that some of the people listening to the podcast are curious to find out some more resources of, of maybe intermediaries or groups that are active in the region. Can you suggest a couple of places to look for people who are interested in finding out more about the impact investing sector in Eastern Europe? Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, it will not be very. Uh, probably something uh, very, very surprising, but EVPA is, is really developing a big uh, action in, uh, in the region. The person who is representing EVPA is a Polish, uh, uh, Polish person. Uh, she's working on really developing these um, uh, activities in the region. And uh, as far as I know, when she started probably five years ago, there were statistics saying that uh, maybe 2% of the, of the um, venture philanthropy money uh, invested in the world was invested in our region. And now, as far as I remember, it, it went up to, to 7%. So basically, this is definitely the good starting point to look for impact investment initiatives in our region. There are some, I would say, non-formal groups of impact investors from different countries that meet on Teams and, and other platforms. But I think that uh, if, if somebody is interested, it's really good to start from the EVPA side. You will be well directed. Okay, well, that's convenient. So probably anyone who's found this podcast is going to be able to find the EVPA website as well. Exactly. <laughs> Michal, the last question I always ask on this podcast is, so you're based in Warsaw. What is your number one tip for people who visit Warsaw for something fun to do? Yeah, so Warsaw... Uh... Maybe just one word about Warsaw. I'm, I'm born and raised in Warsaw. I spent some time in France, but, but I, most of, the, of my life, I, I spent it in Warsaw. And Warsaw in the 1980s, when I was growing here, was, I would say, a gray and, and sad place to live. And it is really becoming very, very dynamic. It is not like Berlin is, but it is something, I, I think it's a, it's a very dynamic city. And so it is very... Interesting, I, I think, to be here and you, you feel somehow, in French you would say, revigorated. I don't know if it exists in English, but it is probably understandable. Reinvigorated, um, yeah. Reinvigorated. <laughs> the same, yeah. Okay. It's a young city, living city, so there is a lot to do. I live with my family. I have a lot of children, so I spend a lot of time at home. So this is not something we can share. I try to spend quite a lot of time on my bicycle. And so I, I go to my office on bike if it is not raining, but I spend also spare time on, on bicycle. And it is very, uh, this is something that is very uh, probably interesting is to ride the bike around the city and in the city center or very near the city center, you find places which are almost rural. I mean, suburbial, and, but you find people who raise pigeons, for instance, or raise hen in, and it's just in the middle of the city and it's. So this is something that gives me some kind of nostalgic feeling because I was raised in, in a suburb and the hens were there and they are still there in some places at least. Amazing. <laughs> Michal Radjevil, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure for me. You can find out more about EVPA at www.evpa.eu.com. 
including information on its training academy and how you can become a member. This series of podcast episodes is part of EVPA's Impact Funds Initiative. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to hear our next episodes with Impact Fund leaders. Thanks to Martin Blom and Jack White for making this episode possible.